Hello and welcome to Long Range Sensors, the show where we reminisce about growing up with Star Trek and discuss an episode from the vast library of the Star Trek franchise. Later in today's episode of Long Range Sensors, we're picking up the Voyager episode, Latent Image. Uh, but first, we want to thank Cosmic, Leewaz, Sonu, Minipacks, and Elkhorn our founding member supporters on Patreon, whose generous support has helped make this episode possible. If you want to find out how you support the show and get exclusive benefits too, you can visit patreon.com forward slash long range sensors. My name is Trev and I'm based in London, England and joining me from Nova Scotia in Canada is the very awesome Alistair. Oh, well, thank you very much. Hello, Al. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good. I'm doing good. How about yourself? Yeah, not 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 too bad, actually. I'm kind of amazed at, you know, we're at episode six now. That's like, you know, I feel like we only just started doing this like a few weeks ago. Mm, I know. And it's uh, it's it's just amazed me just also the support that we've had. Oh, yeah. Uh, and feedback about the show has been absolutely phenomenal uh, for everything. And as we start to approach our 10th episode, we're going to start uh, bringing out a few surprises for people, I think. Yeah, we've already, like, you know, we had some ideas that went beyond just let's talk about an episode, let's talk about track lifestyle stuff. Um, there's been things that we talked about from the beginning, um, wasn't there, that, you know, things that mm. we could do. And there are things that we've seen other Trek YouTubers and just YouTubers generally, really, not necessarily just Trek ones, do as well. And we think, you know, we'd like to give that a go, but we think we'd be able to put our spin on it. Um, and, this, you know, the reason why we have these people that have been supporting us at the beginning, who, you know, those guys that have helped us out, like we always have in our intro, I think they'll like them. But I think they'll also be a lot of fun for us to do, you know, me and you. Mm. Um, because part of the reason why we started doing this is just because we have a lot of things to talk about with Star Trek and there's not many people we can vent uh, with. <laughs> so we had to literally make a podcast to sort of do it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that we were both kind of starting to both feel like we need to, yeah, you know, I, I need to do a, a Starship podcast. And we were both kind of, it, it was bizarre because yeah, the timing yeah, was just, yeah. we were both thinking about it around the same time. Yeah. And you're like, do you want to do a Starship podcast? And I'm like, yeah, I've been thinking about doing the same as well. <laughs> yeah, I think probably, you know, unfortunately we wish it was a better situation, but obviously, you know, there's been lockdowns and awful things happening, you know, around the world at this point in time. And I think the fact that, Certainly for me, I know, you, you know, you've, you've still been working though. Uh, I've been working mm. from home. So it's kind of allowed those extra hours that I'm getting back in the day um, has meant I've kind of got a bit more room for something like this. And it's always probably, I think it's maybe always been in the back of my mind. I mean, when we did stuff like this in the past, I think mm. we sort of thought about it then without really actually um, go, going for it and thinking, right, this is what we're going to focus on and other things ha happened. But this has been just, you know, great circumstances came up in, in life and uh, our own sort of, you know, um, thoughts and desires and they aligned, I guess. And here we are, six episodes in. Yeah, with, uh, with more good stuff to come. Well, yes, it's time for us to open hailing frequencies because we've got an incoming transmission from James, one of our listeners. Uh, he writes, hi, folks. First off, I just want to say I'm a big fan of the show. I think your exploration of the larger Trek fandom, combined with finding the buried treasure of Trek episodes, is a novel concept. 
It's really given me a new appreciation for some of those hidden gems, and I've had a great time re-watching them along with the podcast. You were sharing some Star Trek convention memories, and I wanted to share a few of my own. I was lucky enough to attend the 2011 and 2012 Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expos, which both had a big Star Trek presence. At the 2011 show, I was lucky enough to meet Jonathan Frakes and William Shatner. Frakes is a tall man. He absolutely dwarfed me, but he was also very kind. He gave me a direct order not to shave my beard, an order that I have diligently followed to this day. I didn't have to get much interaction with Shatner. They shuffled everyone through quickly, but ultimately they both signed my Enterprise user's manual, which is one of my most beloved Star Trek possessions. 2012 was the big show, celebrating 25 years of The Next Generation's debut. I was a TNG kid growing up, so I stayed an extra week in Calgary after my internship ended to attend the show. But my then-girlfriend couldn't stay, so I went so far as to allow her to fly home to the Canadian East Coast by herself, just so I could stay and attend this show. They had the entire TNG bridge crew at the expo. I didn't get to meet all of them, but I did meet Freaks again, and had some awesome interactions with Will Wheaton and Brent Spiner. I also got the photo with Patrick Stewart, who was very polite and kind. I hadn't thought about some of these memories in a long time. So many great Trek-related stories came out of those shows. Sorry for the long email. Keep up the great work, guys. Cheers, James. P.S. Miraculously, that girlfriend married me, and even bought me the TNG Blu-rays for Christmas one year. It took some time, but she's slowly becoming a Trekkie herself, being a fan of Lower Decks. I'm very lucky to have her in my life. Oh, that's lovely. That is absolutely amazing. That is a lovely uh, email. Mm. Yeah. I mean, parallels as well with uh, you know us in terms of, um, I, I probably get the feeling he's about our age, I think, because obviously we were, you know, kids, but, um, probably, you know, very, very young kids when TNG started originally, like literally 1987. But, you know, obviously we, we've talked about it before, but, you know, we grew up, um, our early years, TNG was on the air, and then we hit our teen years when we got into that real golden era when we had like two TV series simultaneously, and the toys exploded, and the books exploded. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just great that that stuff resonates with other people as well when we talk about it on the show. I love that Freaks uh, <laughs> gave him the order about not shaving his beard. If, if I had, uh, if I had him yeah. say that to me, then that would be the same for me. I, I would just never shave it. I mean, you, you, you yeah. can't go against those kind of orders. That would be, be mutiny, right? That's mutiny. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Breaks yeah. like, tells you, yeah. When we, we joke like, you know, uh, there's um, haircuts and facial hair is, in, is intrinsic, intrinsically linked with the, uh, quality of a star trek show like you know frank's got the beard and next generation started getting better um avery brooks shaved his head and grew a goatee and then deep space nine just went awesome um janeway <laughs> sort of came out of that kind of like i don't know what you call that haircut she had in the first two sort of seasons when she got like a bit more of like of a bob or whatever you call it sorry don't know women's haircut names sorry guys uh but yeah um when she had longer hair and it was all out and vibrant um, and we've yeah. got like, you know, um, some of the better seasons of Voyager. So yeah, it's a very, it's a very important thing here in Star Trek. Lower deck should reference that more, I think. Yeah. Boimler should get a beard or something, uh, you know, we'll all, we'd love a bit of that. <laughs> and I, I love that lower decks is something that she's kind of got into because, you know, with us starting kind of near the beginning, 
because Next Generation being the second show was kind of our in yeah, yeah. to Star Trek. Yeah. It's so interesting now that there's a whole new era of Star Trek that people are finding new avenues in because there's so many jumping on points. Yeah, These shows are all so incredibly different that different shows will appeal to different people. And so it's really interesting kind of hearing what people latch onto as their first show is to kind of like, that's the one that I really like. You know, it may be that somebody's first series was Enterprise. It might be that for somebody, it's Picard, who's never even watched Next Generation before. And uh, and Lower Decks is definitely a very fun one to to kind of uh, get into things with, I think. That's a very interesting point, because um, when we started watching Star Trek, and perhaps we got to the point where we were, you know, I mean, I sort of said that I already was aware of the original series and had seen bits of it. Mm. And it might have been some of the first Trek that I actually ever watched. Um, and then Next Generation started and, you know, VHS tapes were available and started watching that. And then I would go back and well, probably then I saw the movies, which were the original mm. crew. So I super loved the original crew and then started watching the TV show, original series. So, But we didn't have a lot to catch up on, really, because uh, a lot of it was still being made. And um, we only had a few seasons of like, well, really, when it started in the UK, there's only really three seasons of Next Generation and, and uh, five films and just the original series. So um, admittedly, it wasn't as easy to access that stuff. There wasn't a big Netflix thing where you just jump in and bang, we've got all the episodes yeah. instantly watch. We have to literally wait for a rerun. Um, but there was less to catch up on. Um, it's interesting. I would like to hear from as well. Um, people's thoughts on whether it's, you know, in our comments that we get on the videos or the or when we put on YouTube or emails like this one. Um, we love getting these. Um, people that maybe did jump in much later on, I mean, did they just think, no, I'm not going to watch Next Generation, I'm not going to watch original series, or they they just like that one series they're in, or perhaps they went completely crazy and were like, right, I, I saw Lower Decks, you know, and then I thought, right, I'm going to go and go right back to start. I'm going to watch original series, movies, Next Gen. I wonder if there's people, well, there clearly there must be, right? You know, people mm. that have done that. Um, that would be great to hear. And it is interesting, people's journeys now. We've got so much history with Star Trek, 50 plus years now. You've, yeah. you've got a few parallels as well, because I know that uh, you kind of introduced your girlfriend into Star Trek. So what was yeah. your, the, like the first series that you got her into Yeah, that she kind of latched on? With? Yeah, I mean... Um, like, you know, thanks, James, for, for the for the email again, because it was just a great little thing when I saw you were talking about how you kind of almost like accidentally sort of got your girlfriend in, in Star Trek. It was kind of the same thing for me because um, um, I met her and we started sort of seeing each other. Um, and it was at a point in time where I got this big craving to watch Star Trek Enterprise again. Um, at this point, we were only like, um, this is like 2009 going to 2010, early 2010 probably, most likely. We're hmm. only a few years removed from Enterprise finishing, really. So there wasn't really... And I think at that point, people were always were still pretty grumpy about it and thinking it was kind of just the worst series. Um, I was always kind of like, yeah, I really enjoyed um, the third and fourth season of Enterprise. Um, it's got a big craving to watch it again. Mm. I was subscribed to Netflix at the time, the original form of Netflix in the UK, which was Love Film. Um, like it was always Netflix in the US, I think, with the DVDs and the post yeah. and, you know, the rental, literal physical DVD rental service. I think they still do that in the US, actually. I think you still rent a, a DVD from Netflix, I think. I'm be making sure. that up. I, I know that. Kept it going. I don't know if it's just certain regions. Folks in the US, let us know. 
<laughs> That's yeah, yeah. Email us. Send us an email. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so Love Film was basically basically our version of the old school Netflix, where you know you, you uh, rent DVDs and then watch it and send it back um, to so you get your next one. And they did TV series. And they were doing Enterprise, and um, so I started just getting the um, the first few series or, or the first first few episodes of the first season. Um, mm. I don't think I got that far into it. Maybe about a dozen or so episodes, but I was just putting them on just to like watch them myself. And my girlfriend literally we just started going out at that point in time. And um, she was just sort of sitting on the sofa, like watching with me. I wasn't really, you know, just, I wasn't really thinking that she'd be watching them as well. I thought maybe she'd just be, you know, um, she just liked hanging out with me, and, uh, you know, and that was it. <laughs> and that was the kind of all she needed really. But um, I remember we got to a point where I said, oh, I was, I was going to cancel it, I think. And she was like, oh, I was, I was quite enjoying that. And I was like, really? <laughs> and, and, and she was like, yeah, yeah. Are you going to get, oh, I'll, you, should, you should keep get, getting it. I'll watch them as well. Um, and I was like, oh, you, so you like you like Star Trek Enterprise? She was like, yeah, it seems all right. I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> and she'd never seen, like, like, she, like she had, so I think she saw the, 23rd, the 20, 2009 J.J. Abrams film. I think nothing else apart from, you know, probably catching it accidentally, uh, but not to the mm. level that she'd be able to know the characters are or to watch it or anything in depth um so yeah um i said well okay well hang on a sec if we're going to watch star trek we need to do it properly so what i'm going to do I'll, i'm going to i think the best one to introduce you with is probably next generation and she's mm-hmm. like okay, i don't, don't know what that is but yeah fine <laughs> um, take so, word um, from it. yeah yeah so we so we started trusting uh, the trev <laughs> yeah yeah uh that should be a t-shirt um so yeah um <laughs> We started watching that, and uh, we started watching all of all of Next Generation, and uh, we just kept going. And uh, we went to we did think we watched Voyager next, and then we watched Deep Space Nine, uh, and uh, and then we'll, we'll sort of and that simultaneous that we went through all the movies. I tried to sort of keep them relatively in order, sort of thing, or at points where it'd be appropriate to like I didn't show like First Contact before we saw Best of Both Worlds because you know you need to know kind of a bit of the backstory. Mm. Um, so I was kind of did try and make it make it make sense uh, to her sort of thing, um, and yeah, she's you know pretty big Star Trek fan now because of that. Um, she's seen. We've only got um, a bit of a chunk. We're, we're sort of halfway through the second series of the original series because we got to we finished Enterprise and then we just had to take a break from just binging Star Trek because we by that point we've been doing it solidly for two or three years, um, and then unfortunately I think I ended up accidentally introducing her to wrestling as well. So we've got like, uh, we've been subscribed to WWE Network and watching, I was a big WCW fan in the 90s and that's all on there. And obviously, unfortunately with wrestling, it's not just finite seasons and a finite series. It's basically constantly on. So I've been been going back through time and going through everything with that now. So that's kind of taken over a little bit. But yeah, um, that was kind of it. It was just through me wanting to... um, Rewatch um, Star Trek Enterprise and doing it through the really old school method of love film and uh, her sort of like you know kind of picking it up as I was watching it um, and sort of slowly getting into it and also you know it just didn't fall in her you know childhood stuff that she did um, so yeah she never really had a chance to watch it as a as a young girl so yeah it was all brand new to her sometimes I wish I could go back to that point where I could watch them all fresh. Um, cause we both sort of watched them sort of, you know, as they filtered through to us. Yeah. Um, so it must be amazing to be able to just binge through them. Have you rewatched them all in a big binging session at all over the years? Oh, Since constantly. Systems available? 
yeah. constantly, like just all the time. It's it's been a constant thing. But it's I, I always find it interesting how um, sometimes people come in to me and say, like, oh, I'm sorry, I've not I've not seen any Star Trek, and I'm like, why apologize? You you've got so much cool stuff ahead of you. <laughs> you know, you get yeah, to experience exactly, yeah. all this for the first time. I don't get to experience it for the first time anymore. Yeah, you know, aside from <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've got all the new stuff coming out, so that's that's where that's good. Um, but yeah. anyway, James, thank you so much again for the email. That is absolutely fantastic. If anybody else yes, has thanks, any guys. memories that they want to share and stuff, then then please get in touch. We love to hear this stuff, so it's it's absolutely great. Thanks, James. We really appreciate that, and yeah, hopefully we'll hear from more. So, talking of you know, again, going back to our childhoods and growing up and the Trek stuff that kind of was coming out and exploding, you know, when we were teenagers, kids and teenagers. Um, magazines were a big part of that and there's sort of two in particular that you know um we both kind of have various ex- levels of experience with one is called starlog and some people might straight away be like oh my god yes as soon as they hear that name and the other one is a uh, probably well same reaction probably but star trek monthly what is your like a quick like, sort of overview from you al what is your experience of both of those magazines uh, Star Trek Monthly is the main one that, uh, that I knew. Starlog was one of those things that I would hear about. You you would get yeah. like references to oh, this was from an interview in Starlog. There'd be sometimes it would come up in mail order things where it would kind yeah. of come up as one of the mail order catalog like uh, like magazines you could get. But it yes. was never in any news agents that I had near me, so I never saw it in any shop anywhere until I moved to London. So I moved to London around 2008, and yes. I recall going into a, I guess it would be a hobby store. They've got like a um, a lot of sci-fi memorabilia and, and things, and a lot of books, uh, so books was a big thing there. But they did have Starlog on the wall, and I remember just seeing it for the first time, just marveling at just like that's that's the thing that's the, that's the magazine i've been hearing about <laughs> yeah. for years and i've never the seen mythical, one in person yeah the and even, magazine that's it and I, I remember flicking through um and from what i recall i i think it was very text heavy that didn't i don't recall there being as many images in um i mean i'm not just flicking through these for the for the pictures it, it, i but. think it is yeah <laughs> but contrast yeah. that with star trek monthly yes that one was very image heavy they had a lot of uh, publicity photos and, and things, which is more than likely because it was a bit more official. So they they were probably able to get the licensing for those photos a lot easier, probably a lot cheaper. Yeah, and um, yeah, obviously it makes it a lot better when they can show us, you know, the upcoming like episodes and pictures from them and everything. But um, hmm. Starlog um, actually started out in the late seventies. It started out in nineteen seventy six. So it's an American magazine, just to get it out there, which explains why Al. You would have probably found it difficult to pick up a copy. I guess it, it, it just depended yeah. on the news agents near you. If they got a lot of um, American magazines or their distributor, I guess, isn't it, that they deal mm. with their magazines included it. Where I grew up, weirdly, um, I had quite a few news agents and a lot of them had like American comics in, um, which you don't see at all now. No. There would be, there'll be a bundle of like, you know, DC and Marvel comics, all the big ones like Spider-Man, Superman, um, you know, I think probably from the pre, from like the current issues as well. I think we possibly would have had a bit of a delay by a couple of weeks, probably getting them, but there'd just be a big stack of them. Um, so that was nothing special, but it was great because I'd pick up American comics um, from the news agents, and now you literally have to go to a specialist comic shop to be able to get them. But yeah, Starlog was American. Um, started in 1976, 
Um, and funny enough, you mentioned moving to London in 2008. It actually finished uh, cancel, whatever you want to call it, in 2009. That's so probably why I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I may have been in there like a couple more times and, and didn't really see it there anymore. So that would definitely explain that, that it suddenly, it was, it suddenly came into my life and just as quickly disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Just beamed away. So you just caught, yeah. You caught it, unfortunately, in its sort of last few months when it probably, well, I can imagine. Oh, feel free to correct me and anyone listening, but um, it probably wasn't as good as I would say what its heyday would have been in probably the, you know, the 80s and the 90s. Um, but it actually started out when it started in 1976. It was originally supposed to be a single issue that was just going to cover the original series. Um, the two people that started it, um, Norman Jacobs and Kerry O'Quinn. Um, okay. They were the ones that um, put the magazine together, but the distributor of the magazine... Um, actually said that perhaps you could make this into just a regular like magazine that you could keep putting issues out um, and, you know, do oh. maybe cover some other genre sort of stuff, like other sci-fi, maybe other movies, kind of basically general stuff that nerdy people are into. Yeah, because um, that, that's, that's how I knew it, was that it was yeah. just general sci-fi. So it'd have things yeah. from like Alien and, and all this other stuff. I did not know that it started out as a Star Trek publication. And I guess that explains Star Log, you know, Star Trek, Captain's Log. I guess it's an amalgamation of that, perhaps. Yeah, no, it was literally, that is a reference to Star Trek, Star Log. Um, they obviously couldn't use Star Day or something because Jim Roddenberry would be like suing them or something, but um, <laughs> that was the closest they could get to it. And with A better name members. as well, to be fair. That's a far better name. Yeah, and the idea that the magazines themselves are a log for that month, you know, of mm. uh, sci-fi coming out and everything. But it was still very heavily Star Trek focused i mean i, I think I, I remember reading random issues in uh, the 90s in, in in the news agents i think i only ever maybe personally owned like a couple of issues which is kind of funny that we're talking about this like fairly in in depth but i do remember owning one issue in particular because um it might still be in in a box somewhere um but um i got it because it had um on the cover it had a couple of different star trek features in it for that month one was Malibu Comics had just got the rights to Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and they started mm -hmm. releasing a comic book, uh, Deep Space Nine comic book in 1993. Um, so I think it would have been 93, the Starlog um, issue was, and it did a really great, like, sort of, I think, five, six-page feature on these comics, and the artwork looked amazing. Um, looked really quite a step above what the, what the DC um, Star Trek comics were doing at this point in time, uh, and they were pretty good. Um and I think it had a couple of other features Star Trek related about what was going on in the series at the time. I mean, obviously Next Gen was still going on at that point. Mm. Um, it was coming to the end. Um, I think the thing that fascinated me the most, though, were the adverts because, again, this being originating in America, there was a ton of um, merchandise um, that was advertised that we just didn't have. We didn't get in the UK. I remember there was a big poster that you could buy that was the Battle of Narendra Three. That someone had painted. Unfortunately, like the advert was uh, black and white, so you couldn't see the actual art. But it was you could vaguely see it was like the Enterprise C, you know, from basically yesterday's Enterprise, the uh, the battle that they came that they were kind of escaped from in that. Um, it was the Enterprise C yeah, with the Klingons and the Romulans. Yeah, it was that with the four warbirds having a big battle. I thought, oh god, that'd be an amazing thing to get. Didn't see that at all in the UK. And there was also lots of. Um, the usual, like, you know, uh, commemorative plates, which we've kind of joked about, is a big Star mm. Trek thing, like commemorative plates with a giant picture of Picard on or Captain Kirk 
loads of them in there. Um, loads of model kits that we didn't have, like vinyl model kits of the actual characters. But it covered other things like Lost in Space, um, the original 60s show, of course, then, which mm. I, I liked um, as well. Remember, my dad got videos of Lost in Space when they got a re-release in the early ni- 90s, even though it was, you know, um, kind of cheesy and a bit crap. But I really, I really liked it. Um, it was head-to-head with Star Trek, of course, fam- famously in the 60s and kind of won. I guess, because it lasted a bit longer than Star Trek did. I think Mission Impossible was what really killed Star Trek in terms of like, um, you know, other shows that were, that were a little more popular. But yeah, there was that. And it would also talk about other 60s shows, which I think you've mentioned a few of these, like uh, The Time Machine and, and Land of the Giants yeah. and stuff like that, which again, I, I liked as well because they were on repeat a lot. Thunderbirds, um, Aliens, like you're saying, um, Robocop. Yeah, I'm flicking through some of the uh, the covers, and I mean, you've even got you know Short Circuit, you've got Superman, Batman. Uh, so there's a heck of a lot of different sci-fi and superhero properties, and then one that stands out completely from the rest is they've got James Bond. Yeah, exactly. But maybe maybe that's because it was quite a big hit over in the US as well, is to my understanding. So. Yeah, it was a huge hit. I mean, there's plenty of podcasts that will do a better job than we could, like talking about how amazing it was. But if we could, like, if if like me and you made a magazine, it would probably end up being Starlog. <laughs> Starlog was sci-fi and just nerdy, sort of cool comics, and you know, um, all the films that that we love to this day, they would cover it, and they do really in depth, like almost like what we have now what we now know is like dvd special features that go in depth into the making of these films starlog would cover mm. that stuff they would do interviews with the makers of these things and talk about how and they'd even go back and talk about you know after the film had been out like you know um and why there was loads of different versions of blade runner and what happened with that and um scenes that were cut from you know Re- return of the jedi or something you know things that were would, would be for people like me and you would just absolutely would just eat them up um so and it kind of pioneered that really and there were star trek sort of fanzines before then um and during and there are now um but this was a, you know ended up being a real obviously it was very professionally done um it looked awesome they, they got photos from the set and the stuff that you would learn about filmmaking and just like you know the, the general star trek universe and star wars is in there and everything it was just great um for a nerd it was just basically like a bible basically hmm. um it's just a shame it was difficult to get in the UK. I'm sure if you went to a comic shop, it was probably quite easy. Star Trek Monthly, on the other hand, which was a UK-based um, magazine, uh, we were all over that. Yeah, and that's not to be confused with Star Trek the Magazine. Yes, confusingly. Uh, which was published by Fabry Publishing in the US. Because uh, Star Trek Monthly is now Star Trek the Magazine. Yeah, so it started in 95. I didn't actually... I don't, I, I jumped in about two or three issues in. Um, I think... I don't know how, but I just missed though that first two issues or something. I, I, I wasn't paying attention. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, I definitely had the first one because the, the, the thing that was really memorable about the very early issues was that they every issue had a headshot of a Star Trek character. And it would yes. just fill the entire... It wasn't like you get like a three-quarter shot of the body. Or anything. It, was, it was just the head. And the first issue was Patrick Stewart as, as Captain Picard. And it came with a bookmark with data. And I had that bookmark growing up. Yes. And I recall having you know Picard. On, so I know I definitely had the first one. And I, I ended up getting quite a few issues over, as time went on. I didn't get every single one. Um, but 
I, I remember looking through the back and you'd have all the back issues for the ones that you had missed and there'd always be that longing, but you know, you only have so much money as a kid. <laughs> so you, yeah, you can't have exactly. More, you know. And it wasn't cheap, you know. It was like no. a two ninety five. So yeah, you know, that, that sounds like yeah, not a lot I, today, but you can double that, I think, in today's money. Yeah, in terms of inflation and things, yeah, for sure. And you can always tell which are the older ones because the font changed as well. The more recent ones, it's the traditional Star Trek, like the original series style of font. Uh, whereas this one was a lot thicker for the word Star Trek. And I ended up having a look trying to figure out what font this is. And from what I can tell, it's in size 901 standard Nord for anybody who's into fonts. Yeah. Uh, but it just seems a little bit more squished from what I can tell. Yeah. Uh, but that's how you can always tell like what the, the older classic ones are. Yeah, and I think, um, so yeah, it literally originated in the UK. There was other sort of, you know, in the US, they had other, but Starlog would make um, Star Trek, um, dedicated Star Trek magazines for uh, the series um, that would be companions to the seasons as they were going on. Um, you can look those up. It's like, there's like a Deep Space Nine uh, magazine. It, there'd be one every three months, um, I think, and it would mm. sort of cover the most recent episodes. Uh, we didn't get any of that, but we got Star Trek monthly. But so, you know, we'd talking about how um, Starlog um, was, you know, it covered everything. It wasn't just Star Trek. Star Trek Monthly was obviously maybe in some ways even better for people like me and you, who were not, obviously Star Trek was our favourite thing, because this was just Star, Star Trek. Um, and it was kind of similar to um, Starlog in the sense that, you know, it would be behind-the-scenes interviews, often, you know, um, basically the, the cover character or, or actor or actress would be the person that'd be the main feature. Like you say, yeah. issue one was Patrick Stewart and um, Michael Dorn was issue two, Brent Spiner three, uh, Kate Mulgrew was issue four and so on and so on. Um, and then have a big interview with them, which was obviously always great to read and often go into how they were cast and everything. Um, and in the sense of like, you know, Kate Mulgrew would have been in the very early days of being Cap Captain Janeway. So this was like brand mm. new stuff back then that we wouldn't have had a chance. So there was no, you know, the VHS tapes would come out, but they wouldn't have, you know, special features, really. You wouldn't really get, like, you wouldn't see any of the behind-the-scenes specials at all in, in the UK. I mean, I think Sky, like, like Voyager started on Sky 1 in 95, but I don't really recall them doing any hype sort of stuff in the months leading up. Um, you would really only see see that stuff on yeah if it hit a mainstream like general tv or or you know program that was about you know new shows coming out but yeah it was very very rare well we talked about star trek uh star trek night and they they did that for voyager's uh caretaker pilot yeah so yes. there was a little bit but there wasn't really like you say behind the scenes stuff it was just just a hype for this is the new one that's coming out here's a bunch of star trek related stuff um but it was this magazine that made me realize how far behind we were because we just didn't know. There was nothing to tell us. But these magazines would show us things like in Deep Space Nine when the uniforms changed to the first contact style. Yes. They were showing storylines that weren't due for another year with them in new uniforms, which we hadn't seen them in before. So even though it was a, a British publication, they're obviously getting all their information from the U.S., and so you would be really getting these sneak peeks as to what's to come. And that in itself was a big hype thing. And whereas now, 
I don't like reading too much about spoilers. Um, yeah. Back then, yeah. there was it was a nice balance where they would give you enough spoilers, but they wouldn't spoil everything. I find that now with the internet, you can have the entire thing spoiled very, very easily. Whereas this, yeah. I, I feel it was probably a little bit more controlled for that. I think that they were probably very smart in how much they filtered through to us in the UK. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but was that kind of your experience? Yeah, I mean, in, in, yeah, um, that was one of the most exciting segments in Star Trek Monthly. They would have like, yeah, they would cover the, the series that are currently in production and they would have here the next sort of four episodes that are coming out. Um, and I don't know if by the time we read those in Star Trek Monthly, if they've already, I think they've probably just literally been shown in the US. So mm. at best, we were probably still looking at five or six months if you had Sky T- TV before you'd be able to watch them. I mean, even longer if um, if you weren't buying the VHS tapes and were just relying on BBC, you'd be looking at um, even longer. Yeah, that was that was me. That was me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Al. Um, <laughs> I, I, you just about coped, I think. But yeah, um, it was difficult, um, even if you did have Sky. But um, yeah, um, they would have like a brief synopsis of the episodes that were coming out to give you a general idea of what this episode was going to be about without really telling you anything about the, you know, the, the beat by beat, um, shot by shot breakdown of the episode. So you'd have a, so I remember like reading them and then having a vague idea, like uh, perhaps like an episode would come up on Sky One of Voyager, like, or Deep Space Nine being the two, you know, in production series at the time. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that that's the episode. I read that like, like three issues ago in Star Trek Monthly. Great. I'm looking forward to that now. So I really like how that sounded. In, uh, when I read mm. about it, so I'll get to see it now. But um, I wouldn't know what was going to happen apart from the, the brief overview they would give it. I wouldn't know anything else about it. They were good. They were pretty good with that. And obviously, it's still very early internet days, um, and certainly I, I didn't have really any any constant access to the internet. It was you know the odd the odd bit of time at school um, at that point. Um, I think I barely touched the internet, but in, in 1995, to be honest. Um, but yeah, um, so that was our source of this stuff. And it was also going to other stuff. It would tell you about it with the latest videos that were coming out. Like, you know, this week, Voyager 1.10 is coming out with these two episodes in. It'll be twelve ninety nine, and, you know, we've rated it so-and-so because they, these two episodes are... I can't remember if they outright, like, they did review episodes. They would often do, like, season overviews, wouldn't they, as well? I think yeah. I remember a big Deep Space Nine one where they did... They were to celebrate uh, season three starting on BBC Two. We're going to give the big review of seasons one and two, you know, and they'd, they'd do like reviews. I think they were pretty honest as well. They'd be like, yeah, that episode was like crap. Um, <laughs> you know, even though they were kind of semi official, weren't, weren't they? So I think they were probably free to sort of dump on on shows. Holding them accountable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Holding them to a higher standard, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and then also, um, when we talked last week about the toys and the micro machines. Uh, last time, even well, actually not wasn't last time. Conventions was the last time. It would actually talk about conventions, funny enough, as well. Um, so you'd mm. see that. Um, but yeah, going further back, we talked about micro machines, and they would review those sets that were coming out. You know, there's a brand new set coming out. It's all the bronze uh, Enterprise ships. You know, in a set, and it was cool to see that these things were coming out, and um, what new Playmates toys were coming out, what new you know model kits. Um, and it would describe, you know, I think I think it did like how to build them and stuff like that, which was wicked. Um, yeah, I, and, I remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember that they also did um, features on things like they would talk about time travel, or you know, they they would talk about parallel universes and things. Uh, and then they would also have 
stuff that's more real world things like about women in Star Trek. And you'd have all these kind of really cool features, which you know you would really want in from a magazine. Uh, but m- more interestingly, they also had extracts of books that were available as well. So you get like a little yes. chapter from a from yeah, a book that's right. In it, I think you got an actual book once or twice. I think they put like I remember one or two times they put a book in, on, on on the front cover, which was awesome. Yeah, there's uh, it was it was a really really good magazine, and uh, I. I can't remember why I stopped getting it, but uh, I'm just having a look at some of the covers now, and it's bringing back so many memories of some of them where I, I can I can kind of see the ones that I definitely had. Uh, in fact, here's one from yeah. um, the 100-page Millennium Special where it's got a free audio tape on the front. I had that yeah. one, and I can't remember what was on it, but I think if I, I think it was one of the novels. I think it might have been either first contact or insurrection something like that um yeah, they, I mean, they the had freebies were, were cool yeah, yeah they... and i'm looking at one that um i was very fond of that i remembered quite vividly and that was the 10th anniversary of star trek the next generation issue um from october 1997 uh, and obviously you know it's crazy nice. how much further down the line we are now from mm. the 10th anniversary but um yeah, and it got, yeah, it had a book extract. It had a uh, ship, an extract of the pocketbooks book, Ship of the Line. Um, hmm. I do recall some of the comics also. Uh, they'd have a, a chunk of um, some of the graphic novel, like the compilations of the DC comics, which were still DC was still making the Star Trek comics at this point in time. It was really, yeah. it was a really great magazine. And, and when we talked about them being so far ahead with the shows. I mean, they, they had all these anniversary special things, but the other big issues was when a movie was coming out. Oh, yes. And because movie releases were a lot closer to the US releases, um, th- those we, you know, we were kind of getting it as the hype for that film was building up as well. Yes. So those yeah. felt really, really special where you, you're not behind. It's like, this is coming out and this is coming out soon. And I'm so hyped for this. Yeah, I remember um, one funny thing was, uh, I can't remember which issue of Star Trek Monthly, but I remember when it um, had some news on Star Trek First Contact, which at that point was being called Star Trek Destinies, and it said Avery Brooks was going to make a cameo in it. And I remember being really disappointed when it turned out it was just, um, I think the cameo would have been what ended up as Worf on, on the Defiant. Um, you know, about to ram it into the Borg cube as it turned out. But um, I think that was supposed to... So he was actually going to be... It was announced in Star Trek Monthly that he was going to be um, in a Star Trek First Contact. It was called uh, Star Trek Star Trek Destinies at that point. Um, mm. And it was all... I remember them talking about it when it was called Star Trek Generations 2. Yeah, it was on the clapperboards uh, initially when they were filming. Yes, that's right, yeah. It was great, and obviously, you know, talk about what you said about the when a movie was coming out. It would also when the, the rental release was coming out, that would be a big thing because it'd be like yeah. next month, Star Trek: First Contact is coming out to rent, and and that was exciting, like seeing that because I, I I saw it twice in the cinema, um, once with my dad and once with some school friends, and that was it. I, I saw it in the cinema twice, and then for about a year. You know, um, it felt like about a year. Um, we wouldn't see it again until it came out um, to rent. And it was Star Trek Monthly when they announced it. I was yeah. like, great, and, let's get the pre-order in. <laughs> and and it's, it's nuts when you think that this was monthly. So this was a monthly yes. burst of information. Like you would wait a month, you would get all this burst of information of all this stuff that's coming out, and then you have to wait another month. 
and then you get your next burst. Now we just get a tweet every few minutes. Like, you know, oh, this is coming out, that is coming out. And it's just, it's constantly there. Whereas it's hard to kind of think back to what it was like waiting a month for this next, you know, these magazines would basically last you that month to read through and stuff. Yeah, I would read the the crap out of it, (laughs) literally like the whole thing. And um, it it was real, but yeah, I mean, people like, you know, again, we're talking about, you know, what would it be like for people that are getting Star Trek now? Back then we were frigging like, like we were gagging for like Star Trek news and and what cool stuff was coming out because you can just go on an internet site and see it all and just there you go it's done daily. Um, there were obviously they did exist. I'm not saying they didn't, but for us, our situation we didn't have access to that stuff. Um, yeah. So this was our our Star Trek fan fan site effectively. Yeah, um, especially as this was '95 and it wasn't really because I I believe if I'm remembering this correctly, that First Contact was the first movie to have an official website. Actually, I think Generations was the first. Was it Generations? Yeah, even earlier than, than that. But so, yeah, the same ballpark, really. Sort of 94, yeah. 95. It wasn't a normal thing at all. One thing that I did find out uh, when I was just having a, a brief look about this stuff just before the, the show, uh, Marvel UK also had a Next Generation magazine that ran from 1990 to 1992. I never saw it. That was never in my uh, news agents. Oh, Marvel, and, Marvel UK. Yeah. I, love, I used to love them. Yeah. I, I would have been reading the crap out of that one as well. <laughs> I, I remember it. that. Yeah. Did you I see remember, it? Um, yeah, I had a couple of issues. And, um, you lucky git. I was disappointed when I got oh? it because it turned out um, it was just a reprint of the American DC, which is really weird. Marvel reprinting a DC comic. It was just the uh, the first few issues were literally just the DC Star Trek: The Next Generation miniseries from 1988. Um, that one they reprinted that um, in uh, in that was what that was the Marvel UK Star Trek: The Next Generation. I still bought it because I was like, it's so, just Star Trek. Stuff. I just want it. So, so, yeah. so, question for you then: Why did it disappoint you? Because I'd already read it. Oh right, okay. Oh, so you'd already had. So you you buy it and then suddenly realize I've already had this. Yeah, I literally had. Right, um, okay. I'd already had the original, obviously, print of the DC version of that, which was two years old by that point. Um, which it seems like a long time, but in those days, time was a lot longer. You know, without the internet and things getting copied and the world getting smaller. Um, yeah. It's not like old, an old fart saying that, but yeah, um, it was just a reprint. That was very common in those days because um, I, I keep promising to not mention. Tra- Transformers, but I actually have to now because we're talking about Marvel <laughs> UK. But its biggest comic really was Transformers. They started off reprinting the US Marvel Transformers comic. They would normally chop one issue up because uh, uh, comics in the UK tend to be released every week, um, whereas in the US it's every mm. month. So they would get through one issue of Transformers in three weeks or four weeks, depending on how how many pages of that they they used per issue. And um, I used to get that religiously to Transformers from about 1988 to, to 1991. Um, and um, but the thing is, they ran out of um, they ran out of because they they burned through all, all the backlog of American Transformers comics after about a year in. Mm. And they started to had to write their own original UK Transformers comics, um, and they had turned out to be better than the US ones. And they're actually kind of fa- famous being these brilliant Transformers stories that are actually UK-based. Um, and yeah, it was Marvel UK that produces. Marvel UK don't exist anymore. Interesting no. facts about Marvel UK. 
The senior editor uh, is the lead singer of the Pet Shop Boys. Oh, <laughs> I did not know. <laughs> yeah, that's what he did before he joined the Pet Shop Boys. He was the editor of Marvel UK. So yeah, wow. wow. That was a huge tangent. Sorry, guys. But yeah, they did uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, it was like a really garish, like yellow with the blue Star Trek The Next Generation uh, text. Uh, it was like the first issue with, with like a, the, I think mm. they used photos, didn't didn't they? The they did, yes. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they were photos for them. There's uh, Now, am I misremembering this? But didn't Star Trek Monthly, I don't know if they did it for a while or just a little bit, but I seem to recall that they did have some comics in there as well. Yes, they did. They would have some extracts of um, whatever the um, the recent graphic novel, you know, which is often a compilation of the issues of the DC Star Trek series. I mean, we'll go right. and we'll probably have another show based on that, but uh, about the comics specifically. But yeah, they would chop out, yeah, like, um, you know, eight or nine pages from um, um, one of the comics and just uh, and um, put, put them in the magazine. Yeah. So I think um, Titan released where the UK would, would, would release the UK version of those graphic novels. So it was a, an, an easy way for them to because they make this magazine. They obviously they don't need to worry about rights, do they? They could just chop a few a few pages out, stick it in the Star Trek Monthly, so people like us would be like, "Oh, I've got to get that comic now." Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it was we, we were easy pickings, really. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, we just, um, just didn't know any better. Yeah, but fair play to it. Um, it's it's still going to this day, isn't it? Star Star Trek um, Monthly, though it's Star Trek Magazine now, isn't it? Yes. Looking back, I kind of don't know why I stopped getting it. I don't know why I kind of dropped off. I I, well, I, I think yeah. it may have just been the move to to things being online. I think it's probably yeah. more likely what it was. You know, that kind of dropped off for me around 97, 98, I think. It was probably because I started getting like the official PlayStation magazine and things like that. I remember I used to get a Mega format. Um, as well. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, um, I used to get a lot of video, computer and video games, a lot of computer, video game magazines. And I think that just ended up taking my attention and my money because obviously you know, you, you know, you, uh, one magazine could be quite a lot of money for a teenager. And I think getting some like official PlayStation magazine meant I got a disc that I could play on my PlayStation that will keep me going. You know, which is kind of cool. Um, so yeah, that's probably what did it for me. And and also like you say, the rise of the internet and I could just go on. I think Trek Web was probably the first Star Trek website that I genuinely went on uh, religiously for a few years. Oh, there's a name I've not heard a long time. Yeah, I yeah. don't think it's going anymore. I'm literally going to check that now. Um, no, I don't think it does. No, uh, it's not going anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I would be surprised at this point. Yeah. I think many things have kind of supplanted that uh, that old site. I used to be on the forum. I used to post on the forum in there. Um so yeah, that was also you know, I would have been when I was hitting my sort of early twenties, um, and I think Trek, mo Trek mo movie and the well, the official Star Trek site. And um, to be honest, I probably get most of my Trek news just from people sharing it on social media, and it, it, it's great, and it means we get everything that we need to know. And um, I do miss the days of picking up a magazine. I still can, but you know what? If it's it's easier and it's cheaper now just to get it through someone sharing it. So that's probably, you know, what, how we've ended up doing it. But <laughs> something that um, we would have definitely have needed a magazine to get any kind of information on uh, before it came out, before we were able to see it, is a certain episode of Star Trek Voyager, which has just come up on our long-range sensors. 
and that is season five, episode 11, Latent Image. Um, so we've actually touched upon this episode. I think we mentioned it. Um, I'm not sure if it was the last episode or the episode before, but there was kind of parallels with the previous episode that we talk, talked about. So we thought we need to talk about it. And this is what we're doing now, aren't we, Al? Yeah, because it, it, it builds up mystery brilliantly. Like just oh, the yes. way that everything unfolds. You, you On the first watch, you're not going to really guess exactly what's kind of happened. Not at all. Um, they, 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 they put a lot of red herrings in there for you, a lot of uh, almost kind of playing on the usual tropes that you would normally expect these stories to go down. And yes. what I find also interesting about this is it's also very fast-paced for something that does not have much action. But dialogue-wise, there's a lot in there. And it's one of those that if you blink, you'll miss it kind of things. Yeah. Just because of how quickly everything unfolds. Yes. It's interesting because as I was watching it, um, there were parallels to um, a TNG episode, which is almost the inverse of this called Clues. Yeah. Um, where the entire crew, you know, is experiencing basically sort of um, amnesia. And there's one crew member that actually knows what, what had happened. And they end up having to sort of, you know, work their way backwards to figure out what's going on while trying to get this crew crew member data. It is um, to tell them what happened. Whereas this is actually the opposite of that, where it's one individual crew member, in this case, the doctor, who's got mm. this kind of amnesia or if his files have been deleted to be, to be specific. Um, so the episode starts off, um, the doctor's being quite chirpy. He's doing annual checkups of the Voyager's crew, and he's got this, like, the world's biggest camera, um, which is kind of <laughs> hilarious, like, in itself. I mean, I get yeah, that his... it's like a holographic camera. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he's so imager. excited about it, though, as well. It's his, it's his yeah. hollow imager. It's his new toy. And I, I love when uh, he's trying to photograph, because basically he's just doing a lot of portrait shots of, of people. And interestingly... Every time you get the sort of diaphragm effect of the uh, you know the the photo sort of you know snapping the shot, that is apparently a mosaic of Ensign Jatel's face, and Ensign Jatel comes up later. I paused it after finding this out. I oh, paused wow. it, and I could not tell. There was no way of being able to look at it and no. go, "Oh yeah, that's a face." It it it's not, but that's how they did the effect, oh, my which God. is kind of neat, really. Again, you what you're talking about, watching over and over, you need to do that for that, spot that. Yeah, but even yeah. then, if you showed me a still of that shot, I would still not have even been able to tell you that that's a mosaic of somebody's face. But it, it works, and it's, it's kind of, it's a nice, even just from a creative standpoint, just for them to kind of go, this is what we're, we've kind of done, I think it's kind of neat. Um, but with Naomi... I love that you've got this little girl and she's like, we didn't do this last year. And he's just so excited uh, yeah. just about the fact that he, you know, this can now look at things at a subatomic level and it's expanded what he can do in terms of medical research. But yeah, he, he is absolutely thrilled to bits. And then just to prove that it's safe and that, uh, that no, he's not going to get harmed he lets her take a picture and she just starts mocking him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really cute moment from her. It's a really, really sweet relationship that they have, isn't it? Naomi Wildman and uh, the Doctor and a very jovial way to 
start the episode before it gets probably the only kind of nice moment in the episode because it goes very dark. Yeah. Quite quickly, actually. In fact, in this very teaser, doesn't it? Yeah, this this is you're right. Actually, this is probably the the lightest moment, and it's it's a nice way to start off things, really. And I think also it throws you because it set the tone for the episode in a way that is not how it's going to turn out. Yeah. So it gives you that contrast to to everything. Uh, and interestingly, they they because they have the effects for Harry where he's built from the bones up. So they start off with a, a skeletal structure. This is basically showing what the hollow image is capable of. Yeah, he starts taking Harry Kim's image as well, who's comes yeah. the sick guy. Yeah, yeah. So you, you see the skeleton form, and then you see all the internal organs, and then you see the muscular structure. A very cool effect. Yeah, and it just snaps in with Harry. And gross. It is. And <laughs> yeah. it's probably the best effect of that that we saw until the movie Hollow Man, where they did that a lot better, but that's oh, yeah, on a movie yeah. budget. Right, and yeah. that was what two thousand and one thereabouts. Yeah, but the, yeah, like you say, the money that would have had, they, they it was the far exceed what an episode would have had. So yeah, yeah, the job that they did on this is pretty damn good. Yeah. yeah, at the time, and that was that was Digital Muse that did that, and they did effects for DS Nine and Voyager. I think they started with Voyager around season two, season three. And yes, they would do it alongside Foundation Imaging, uh, so they they'd each do different effects for different stuff, but. The company who did that effect did effects for Spawn. They did it for Sliders. They also did effects for the X-Files. Oh, wow. So some of the stuff that they were doing on what really were low budgets were really good effects. And, and they kind of set a lot of the style for a lot of the Voyager and DS9 effects as well. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't aged at all watching it online on, on, on Netflix, um, whether I did to rewatch this. It looked great. Um, it didn't look janky or blocky or... You know, um, CG was coming along pretty quickly at that point in time, of course. Mm. So, yeah, it, it looked really, really good. Um, again, kind of gross as well. But, um, yeah, and and it's really interesting how they use this as a device to start the mystery pretty, quick, mm. pretty quickly when Ensign Kim is getting his hollow imaging going on because the Doctor notices that um, it looks like he's had an operation done on him. In fact, neurosurgery, in fact, which is quite, could be quite, quite dangerous surgery. And the only person that could have done that is the doctor, but the doctor doesn't remember doing it. Yeah, but the, the thing that, it's not just that he's the only one who could have done it. He came up with the procedure. Yes. He knows that it's a procedure that is, you know, it's, it's one that he came up with. So how could anybody else have done it? But he doesn't remember it. And Harry says that he doesn't remember having an operation either. And if you kind of watch Harry Kim, which you might not think to do if you hadn't already seen the episode, he does look a little bit uncomfortable with the fact that the doctor's discovered this, but not necessarily because it's, he, he doesn't remember the surgery either. Um, mm. Almost like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, that's interesting if you kind of watch Harry's body language here. It's, it's very clever in that on a first viewing, you miss it you will 100% miss it. But yeah. when you go back, you can just see there's that subtleness of, okay, uh, yeah, that's I'm not supposed to talk about this. Yes. Uh, I, I'm not yeah. ranked high enough to talk about this. I never will be. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing with poor Harry. No. <laughs> but somebody who is ranked up enough is Janeway, who's been completely avoiding him for ages. She's just... Uh, in her ready room, drinking her coffee, and he comes in, and he's he's finally caught up with her, and she's reluctantly kind of like, okay, 
fine, I'll I'll do this. He tries to get her to stop by for a photo session. He wants her to come down for one of those. Sounds a bit rude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but then that's when he starts informing her of, of what he's found, like the uh, the scarring on on how he uh, on his neck and stuff, and just kind of going, well, I, I, you, you know, I don't remember this, and neither does he. Yes. Then he goes um, after that, and he visits Seven. Uh, so they start digging deep into the mystery because she wouldn't have been around at that point. Yes. When this all happened. Yeah. And he says that he wants help with a, a self-diagnostic. So she agrees, says, you know, that she'll be there in an hour. Uh, and I think it's established as, as well that they've got a bit of a friendship developing, haven't they, Seven? And, yes. And the doctor it, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Very much a mentorship kind of thing. Yes. That's when they kind of started doing all of that. Yeah. So... She agrees to meet him in an hour. She then actually goes down and meets with him in sick bay, but he's offline. So she activates him and he can't recall that conversation at all. That has completely gone and somebody's deleted that memory file. That, that would suck for somebody just to be able to just come in and just selectively delete your memories. Without you even knowing. It's kind of yeah. scary as well and make you very paranoid. <laughs> yeah, but they're able to go to Holodeck 2 and then look up some of the memories that are gone. They find images from 18 months ago, I think it was. And he, he was saying that back then he was an avid photographer. I, I, I fail to believe that that was just back then. Like, this has obviously just been an ongoing thing. <laughs> he loved carrying time. his ginormous camera around with him. Um, <laughs> yeah. It looks oh, like he's... a remote control for a, a, a remote control helicopter. But, but the other thing is... Shape. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense because for the longest time he was stuck in sick bay. Then he suddenly gets his uh, portable emitter, his mobile emitter. Yeah, yeah. And he's able to then go on away missions. He's able to leave the ship. So it makes sense that if, if anybody's going to be a tourist, it's going to be him. He's with a take camera. all the photos. <laughs> That's it. You know, it's. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's something kind of sweet in a way about how the doctor yeah. kind of reacts to all, all of that stuff. There um, is, there really is. Yeah. But they attempt to reconstruct these photos that have been deleted. And they see this ensign that neither of them have seen before. And we, as an audience, have never seen before. And then there's also photos of an alien that's armed. There's also a species that we've never seen. It and, looks like generic bad guy alien as well with awful scales and stuff. Yeah, so you're like, oh, okay, he's obviously not friendly. And yeah, we're holding a gun as well, so phase yeah. the thing. And, and these yeah. are just the images that the, the cameras picked up. She then manages to recover the memories, but they're out of sequence, which again adds to the mystery because you don't know what order anything's happening in. Yes. Um, but there's them in, a mess, in the mess hall with a cake, then they're suddenly in a shuttle, they're seeing a torpedo get launched, and then you see Harry and this ensign both injured in sick bay, and that's kind of where things kind of get stuck to, but it's enough for him to basically tell Seven, call the captain. Yeah, there's clearly some something going on, and it's at this point you're thinking there's like, if this is your first time watching it, you're probably suspecting there's been an alien attack and they've erased people's memories or or, mm. or something and they can't remember it. Because And if you're probably familiar with TNG and that episode I mentioned earlier, you might be thinking it's going down that path. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is basically because of a result of alien intervention yeah. sort of thing. 
And conundrum. Conundrum's another. What is it with TNG and like met all the crew having its memories screwed with? Conundrum was another one that was like not similar to that as well. Yeah. And there was also a Voyager episode where there's a crew member that just the physical appearance can't stick into long term memory. It's only in short term. So once she oh, leaves, yeah, yeah. everybody forgets that she even existed. Yes. A lot of memory based episodes. But even even this alien though is even an unknown to the Borg. So we're, we're completely out of the loop as to what this alien is even capable of. But we do find out that this, this is Ensign Jatal that, uh, that we've seen. And, yes. And with all we haven't this seen stuff, before. No. And so yeah. we don't even know if she's part of this whole alien thing. You know, if she was like an infiltrator, perhaps. But well, we just, we, you know, it's a mystery. Yeah. But the doctor believes that the ship is in danger and that there's an intruder on board, especially as he knows that somebody's been tampering with his program. So Janeway informs him that he should stay offline for his own safety. And, and again, it doesn't come across as anything sinister. It, it, it comes across as genuine, like that's a good idea. He should stay offline. She's not being weird or anything um it seems like a fairly reasonable thing well yeah mm. i mean if he's being tampered with you know for his own safety yeah turn yourself off and we'll make sure you know keep, keep monitoring you know what happens in sick bay that's a perfectly reasonable thing um there's no reason for you as a viewer to suspect that that um you know there's anything anything else going on yeah but then he he goes and shows one of the most important things for any computer to have to do and that's it that he shows the importance of backups oh big time yeah because he starts backing up the last 48 hours of his memories just in case his program's modified and then he also sets up his hollow imager for five second intervals to take pictures if somebody enters the room basically which is a webcam a, yes but it's, it's a really a smart webcam yeah <laughs> <Just> motion <laughs> activated yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but re yeah, really smart shows how the doctor is, you know, pretty clever and, you know, and, um, not a lot can get past him. He's, it shows how he's learning and like, you know, how resourceful he is, you know, beyond mm. just being a doctor. Yeah. I love that he comes online, has no idea what's happened because his memories have been erased. We, we just see the door open and close in a reflection, which is a it's really, a really shot. good shot. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, you can't, you don't see anything. You don't see a, you don't see the person at all. You just hear footsteps, footsteps and a reflection on a console. Um, perfect way to set that up. And then you just see the hollow imager take a photo and you're like, and it kind of makes you kind of excited. You're just like, oh, great. You know, we'll be able to see, finally be able to see what's going on. Yeah. Um, this alien or whatever it is that's, that's doing it. Yeah. Cause I remember when I first watched this when I was a kid, I thought this is either an alien. Or yeah. this is a McKee episode where there's a McKee that perhaps did murder somebody and covered it up and is just about to get caught again. Like Suda. Yes. Some, something kind of yeah. like that. And somebody's trying to cover up a murder that they, they've done. That's kind of where you kind of feel that it's going. Um, but the computer notices the change in the doctor, restores his backup. He suddenly clicks into what's going on, grabs that camera does a reconstruction so you see the bones up effect as it starts to um to do it. and as you said before it's a really good plot device with the way that it reveals and it's the way that 
when you get to the muscular structure, it's all kind of a gradual thing. And then the outer layer of skin just yeah. snaps into place really quick. And it's Janeway. Yeah. And it's so much more effective than just a picture just pop, pops up. It slowly builds up. Suddenly it's a Star Trek, a Starfleet uniform. You're like, oh my God, it is someone from the crew. And yeah, like you say, it's, it's Janeway. And it is a genuinely, you might have suspected it a little bit, but I think you would have been pretty clever just to assume or guess it was her. So it was genuinely shocking. And also, I do really like the moment when the Doctor gets reinstated or turned on again and the computer is copying back his his backup files. Mm. And you actually see a really nice thing where the Doctor doesn't know what's going on. He thinks he's just been activated because his memory's just been erased and he's just been activated because someone's come in and needs help. So he's got wandering around like, hello, who, who wants me? And you can see the computer is saying, backing, uh, restoring files, restoring files, and it kind of flicks between the computer console and him. And that's a really nice way to show his plan in action and actually restoring his memory. And then, yeah, like you say, as soon as he gets his memory back, he's right back into the attitude he had when he shut himself down. You know, he's, he remembers everything and he carries on. But yeah, a really great, really great moment from that whole kind of act, really if you can call it yeah. that, um, where he shuts himself down and comes back again was brilliant. And and it's such a shock for it to be, of all people, Janeway, probably the most yeah. trusting person on the ship. And yes. he, he goes onto the bridge pretty much to confront her. And they're all kind of debating about a sumo wrestling match that yeah. they, they'd seen. Yeah. Uh, where you've, what? Got, you've got Chakotay, who's kind of like, no, I saw that one. And this was the outcome. And she was like, no, but I was actually there. I had front row seats and I saw this. And Tuvox kind of, you, you know, throwing in his two cents and they're wondering how he knows. And obviously he's just kind of taken an interest in seeing stuff as well. But it's just this brilliant debate. Uh, just one of those pointless yeah. ones in, in between nothing. And um, it's also Janeway's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I saw the sumo match. I was in the front row seat or something. And I'm like, Janeway yeah. going to a sumo match. <laughs> What did she say to her mates? Like, oh, oh, Kat, Kathy, can you come out for a drink? Nah, just going to the sumo tonight. <laughs> what the hell? What, out of all the sports, like, this is done base. This should have done like just baseball or something. And like, even Tuvok, I've studied sumo. What did did Tuvok do sumo? Did he go into a holodeck with the little the nappy thing on? And actually, uh, what would that look like if you walked in on him, oiling himself up, ready for some sumo? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's 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 nice to know that it survives to the twenty fourth century. Yeah, yeah, of course. Sport, you know, Janeway's yeah. <laughs> a fan of oiled up uh, sumo wrestlers, apparently. So, but it, it does maybe... it does make it change to the usual sports that we hear about. You know what? Next convention we're at, hopefully, we'll, you know there'll be another one we'll go to together. And Kate Mulgrew's there. We should both dress as sumo wrestlers, rock up to her <laughs> at the signing table, and be like, "Hey, Kate." Guess what episode we're we're referencing? Uh, you know, Kathy liked a bit of a uh, sumo. She'll be like, "What are you, guards, security?" <laughs> she she starts talking though about how like she's. I I love how she just sees the doctor there and she's just like, "Hey, look, I, I'm about to get a mutiny on my hands." You know, very jokingly, and yes. so he's like, "Well, a mutiny is better than a conspiracy," and really starts yeah, to yeah. try and out on the bridge and. Uh, and and Janeway's her. face, J 
Jomo's face just completely turns to stone because she basically knows what's, you know, she's been found out effectively. Yeah. Um, and and he's looking very paranoid at this point and he's behaving very paranoid. So she's yes. kind of like ready room now kind of thing. And yeah. and denies nothing. He starts accusing her and she's like, yeah, that I, I admit that. Um, which you also don't really expect. But yeah. she goes on to explain that he was damaged and that they did things to try and effectively save his life. Yes. But he gives a really cool perspective and points out that that makes him feel violated and insists that she would feel the same. And there's definitely this back and forth where they're trying to use they're trying to use analogies of what it would be like for the other person, but it is different because we're talking flesh and blood versus a computer program. Yeah, and he sort of says, like, what what would it be like if um, you know, I operated on you without your consent? And she'd be like, Well, if it saved my life, I, I could live with it or something, you know. So it's, it it shows how difficult this dilemma is, really. There's no clear yeah. answer. And this is where the moral crux of this whole thing starts to appear. And she's pointing out, like, you're malfunctioning and need to be repaired. Yes. Which, if if you were talking to somebody who has mental health issues or was physically sick, you know, had a disease or something like that, you wouldn't just kind of go, you're broken, we're going to fix you. Yeah, it's would not... you want us to, to delete those memories, you know, if it was possible in a human, you know, would someone be agree to that even if it was possible, yeah. you know? And, and and when he has no say in the matter, yes, I, yeah. you would feel violated. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so he's then What's in... to stop people doing it all the time? You know, what's to stop them doing it again if they feel like they should? You know, it's a whole kettle of fish. It really yeah. is. Yeah, especially if you start getting a taste for it and like, ooh. I can just uh, erase everything, a la Superman. Anytime something happens with yeah. Lois Lane, I'll just kiss her and wipe the memory, and we can oh, move that's on. Stupid kiss. <laughs> yeah. Or turn but, the world backwards because that causes time travel. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Chicote, Paris, and Seven then end up trying to prepare everything and, and take over for the Doctor. Um, because Seven's pointed out that Taurus needs a copy of all his recent memory files, including the backups. So yep. he's not going to totally get past true. them with that one again. Um, no. But Chakotay, I do like that he is very thoughtful about the fact that he's, he's asking, like, do you have any experiments or, or tests that Paris can keep an eye on? So, he, you know, he is yep. understanding that there's things that the Doctor still does that may still need to continue. That, and they're um, doing major you know, sort of like work here to sort of erase everything because he's going to be out of action for a short while, it seems. Yeah, and, and you don't want these experiments to suddenly stop and then be ruined and him having to start from scratch and stuff. So it's yes. th there is still thought behind, you know, preparing everything for him to make sure that he's okay, making sure all of his affairs are in order uh, and, and so on. And then... How do you feel with his conversation with Paris, where Paris is, is pointing out, like, I was there during this whole thing the last time, and yes, I agree with, with Janeway. Um, it's difficult because, yeah, I mean, he didn't seem like, he didn't seem like he was going to be on his side at all at any point. Mm. Um, he was quite, you know, he didn't look happy about it either. It, it's difficult. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's difficult see- because no one has told him what's happened yet. They've, no. they've said that he needed fixing, but they have not told him what actually went wrong. And I think yes. that might be why it's so difficult. Yeah, he can't decide for himself whether this is an appropriate course of action because yeah. they're just doing it, you know, without yeah, there's, his there's, there's no, Yeah, and there's no why. There's, there's no explanation. And as he leaves, Seven does give this really sympathetic look. And at, at first, I wasn't sure if um, she'd been fully debriefed. It doesn't seem so, no. I don't think she was at all. Uh, well, we find out afterwards that she does know. So yeah. she has been debriefed on it, but at the time when you're watching it through, it's not so clear. But there is definitely a sympathy there that she is affording the doctor that nobody else seems to be. Yes. And maybe, maybe that's just because she wasn't there the first time. But from what she's been told, she seems to be the only person who would actually be on his side, even though people like Paris uh, wouldn't be. And potentially being a Borg, and this becomes clear shortly after this scene, um, mm. she could probably relate to it a little bit more than your average human could because there are elements of her that you could, you know, remove. Yeah. Like it was just some, you know, like a part of a toy or part of a, well, she was a, a robot effectively in some ways. So yeah, she's yeah. got a bit more, um, she can have a bit more perspective on that than perhaps a human could. Yeah. And, and Janeway's reading in her quarters. And this is when... Um, and this is when Seven comes in and Janeway's response is, are you having a little trouble regenerating? And, uh, and Seven's response is, my alcove is functioning properly. I'm having trouble with the nature of individuality. <laughs> <It's just> a, <laughs> that old chestnut. It's a, per- it's a perfect yeah, Seven line. <laughs> yeah, we all get that, you know, when we get, when we get insomnia. <laughs> we what do. is it? Is it a bad dream? Oh, just the nature of individuality again, that bloody thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but it, it, it's one of those things you could totally see it with with her as well. But um, but Jamie's kind of pointing out that like that there's a time and a place, and two a.m. in her quarters is too late for a phys- uh, for a philosophical discussion. Yeah, and I'm like, are you, why are you still up? You're the captain. You need to like, you know, um, I don't know what his shifts are as a captain. Like I don't know, nine till six or something. But yeah, I'm like, dude. Well, she's reading. Yeah, we'll get gets. Unless she's reading, like, the Next Generation Technical man- Manual, which I would totally <laughs> read if I was in Star Trek, which would be a bit weird, actually, kind of kind of meta. Um, maybe the Encyclopedia or something. Um, but, yeah, the Star Trek Encyclopedia. But, yeah, um, she should go to bed. <laughs> but, but Seven does make it, her concerns about the Doctor being rewritten known, quite clearly. And Janeway points out that she made her decision 18 months ago. It's not like she's just made it now. She made it ages ago, and she still hasn't changed her stance on the matter. And then goes into, a little bit like we were saying before, how she was using certain analogies with the Doctor that the Doctor didn't really feel, you know, were valid. Uh, She's comparing him to a replicator making coffee. Yes, which is very dehumanizing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that she learned the hard way when he started to self-destruct that, you know, she had to sort of treat him this way, really. But Seven then points out that Janeway allowed her to evolve. And Janeway kind of gets a bit speciesist in a way because she's like, you're a human being, he is a hologram. But yes, 
7 points out, you allowed him to evolve too. And it's this insight that you mentioned before that 7 has that really gives perspective in a way that if 7 wasn't a part of the crew, if she never joined Voyager, then this would just continuously happen to the Doctor. I don't think Janeway would ever change her mind. She would be very yeah. focused on, you know, she's given him this autonomy. She's given him the ability to become more and to become a person and to be treated like another member of the crew. But at the same time, he's still just no different to a, a replicator to her. Yeah, almost like you can have all of this growth and become more human. Like, at the end of the day, if anybody mm. can just go in and delete his, his memories whenever, you know... Um, does he really have any, you know, freedom? Does he really have any rights? It's um, a whole can, a whole can of worms, and it is just being opened with this dilemma. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's coming from a good place. They know that it, you know, obviously something seriously bad happened to him for them to do this. Um, yeah, it's just it's a very very well defined scenario that is so difficult to get around. And, and I think it's so relevant to today because really what we're talking about is unconscious bias. Yeah, we are really, yeah. Which is a big racial topic, you know, in that yeah. no matter how well she thinks of the doctor as an individual, there's still part of her that has this kind of bias about everything. Uh, Seven points out just as she's leaving that some of her is just like a replicator. And then I think it starts to hit home for Janeway when she kind of asks... So does that mean that I'll be abandoned someday? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's when Janeway starts to realize that she does have this unconscious bias. It's taken that much for that to actually hit. And it's then that she decides, okay, well, the doctor at least deserves to at least know what happened prior to the procedure, that she at least owes him that. She's, she's not changed her mind about doing the procedure yet, but she is at least going to let him know the reasons why. So she's completely come round, and um, and it took seven of nine again. Like we already said, someone that's closer to you know, in many ways, to the doctor's you know form of life, if you want to call it that, than any anyone else on on the crew is. Um, and probably her relationship with Janeway um, has meant that you know she was more receptive to listening to her side of the story and how it can relate to her. Um, and ultimately, that's what's changed Janeway's mind. It's a very powerful way of doing it. And um, yeah. Jerry Ryan is just great at um, playing Seven of Nine. And in a situation like this, she's very convincing. And there was quite a lot of emotion in what she was sort of saying to Janeway without her being emotional. She's just great, Jerry Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> underrated. Underrated. So the, so the doctor's ready. And they allow him to access his memories from 18 months ago in chronological order. And this is when we, we find that we have Jatul having a surprise birthday party thrown for her. And uh, he's, yeah, and the doctor is then invited on another away mission. He's like, certainly, you know, because of course he, you know, any chance he gets to go off the ship, I think this is supposed to be like his second away mission. Or well, it's very early on in terms of how many he's been on. Um, yes. Jatul starts talking about how she's been making a shuttle on deck two, something that's more maneuverable and more cool, which uh, doc, the doctor points out means that she's been spending a lot more time with Paris. And I love this because it <laughs> yeah. makes you feel that she is part of the crew. And, you know, you, you kind of feel that like if you were hanging out with Paris, you'd be doing the same thing. 
Right. Yeah, it's it's quite a good performance from the actress that plays Jatal because even though it is quite jarring for all of a sudden there's this really super important ensign that we haven't seen before um, and that this is just the root of this entire um, episode, really, the sort of trauma mm. behind the episode, um, she, you kind of warm to her quite quickly because she's very natural. Yeah. Everybody seems to she seems to know everybody again. That probably should be quite jarring. She's like, you're like, oh god, this is obviously someone that's just going to die because it's turned up randomly, and, mm. and you know. Um, but um, yeah, she's. I don't find it irritating like you do when a red shirt, you know, is suddenly in an episode and it's obvious they're going to die. Um, although yeah. we kind of debunked the whole red shirt thing in the last show we did, but yeah, <laughs> she's she's really. Good. I mean, she, you know, she's she. She blends in. She feels like she's been part of the crew for a long time. It's not too yeah. jarring um, when when you actually do see her and she starts talking and you see her for real. 30 seconds in and you would be more than happy to have her as a recurring character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. She reminded me of Leffler a little bit. Yeah, yeah actually. Leffler yeah. TNG. Yeah. yeah. So next shot is them on the shuttle and the doctor's trying to take selfie photos of them. And Harry... and. I, I relate to this so much because my mother used to take photos all the time. Myself, my brother, my sister, we all hate having our photo taken because of my mother doing this all the time. So I really right. relate to Harry when he's sitting there smiling and then speaking through his gritted teeth saying, this <laughs> is the last one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you just know, like, you know. I need to fly the ship now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. You, you just know that this has been going on for ages. But this is when they're boarded by the alien who shoots them. And you have uh, the doctor's uh, hollow matrix starts to kind of phase. And you see Harry and Jatal get shot and hit. But one thing, I don't know if you noticed this, but when I was watching it, I thought that it was a really cool effect. Because normally, People get shot and then they show the body and they've got the burn makeup. Yeah. If you watch closely, the burns appear on her face as she's falling. Yeah, it's it's kind of graphic actually, and you see like mm. a big blood light spurt come out, which is kind of gross. And um, when she hits the floor and um and it gets to the point where the doctor kind of tries to hold her up or or, or grab her um to sort of help her out, like he gets blood on his hands. There's a big puddle of blood on the floor. Yeah, um, it's very graphic. It, 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 the first time I saw it, it actually shocked me a, a little. And watching it right now in like nice sort of DVDs and Netflix, and it's a lot easier to see it. And um, it's it's a it's a kind of a cool effect, and yeah, quite quite graphic for Star Trek. Normally, you get shot with a phaser; it's just a beam that hits you. There's no gore, no blood, like nothing really, apart from that one episode with the in their TNG where the guy's head blows up. Um, but um, apart from that, it's normally pretty clean. Yeah, and this is somebody who, like, 20 seconds earlier, we've just kind of accepted as, we like this person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as soon as you've liked them, suddenly she's... Uh, Dies she's... Violent, violently, or gets shot yeah. violently, yeah. It's, it's horrifying. And the doctor can't understand the symptoms that he's seeing, that their nervous systems are, are out of whack, and he, he just doesn't understand what's happening. Voyager arrives, thankfully, in the nick of time and shoots away the alien ship. The doctor beams beams him back. Uh, this yes. alien that turns up, yeah, to his yeah. ship. I thought he beamed him into space initially. I was like, "Wow, well, that's cold." Yeah, um, but that's <laughs> but that's what Harry says that he should have done. Yeah, yeah. Harry was telling him he should have been, and and the doctor's pointing out like, "I don't take lives," you know. That's yeah, exactly. Not yeah. what I do. Um, so we almost. I'm pretty sure that was a result of um, people like in the, in the writers' room thinking 
People might think that you've been into space. Can we add a line in that will just clarify that he didn't? I think that was probably where that came from. But yeah. Well, the question is then: Did Harry follow Starfleet protocol? So is is the protocol supposed to be beam them into space, or was Harry cold at that point? Because he was very much a "you should have beamed him into space" kind of thing. Now, is that just him being shot? And kind of feeling a bit vengeful. It's probably like um, they should make a poster like "Keep Calm and Carry On." So keep Kim, keep calm, and beam them into space. <laughs> keep Kim, <laughs> keep Kim. Yeah, we're, we're, we're just going to keep Harry. We're, we're going to keep Harry and beam the other guy into space. We're, we're going to call it the Kim Rule. <laughs> <laughs> beam them into space. <laughs> but they're, they're both dying, and they're they're taken to sick bay, and the energy pulse that hit them remains in their neural membranes and it works up the spinal cord and into their brain. Now, I'm no doctor, but that's a pretty bad way to go. It's a horrific weapon. Yeah, and this weapon is designed to do this. Yeah. Which is nuts. Uh, At least a phaser just like vaporizes you, you know, probably fairly painlessly. Yeah. Uh, this thing is just like horrible. Long-lasting, yeah. slow, well, slow and painful and awful-sounding, mm. yeah. And then this is when he comes up with this new procedure, which he calls a spinal shunt. And it's basically to isolate the spinal cord from the brain, which um, gives him time to, to fix things. So he can prolong the life enough to, to save them. But yeah. there's no time to save them both. They're both uh, quickly dying. And Paris tells him that he has to make a choice. So the doctor switches to Harry, yeah, saves Harry's life, and you hear the heart monitors suddenly go on a long tone, and you realize that Jatel has died. And there's this harrowing shot where it's taken from the ceiling, and it's just Paris and the doctor stood over Kim, and they just slowly turn and look at Jatel, and she's gone. Yeah, a, a very like she's she's dead. Yeah, kind of quite sad and like horrifying moment because they just kind of look at each other and they're like, "Oh, that's that's it." It's just what do you say? It's um, you kind of feel that yourself when, when when you're watching it. There's you know that's it when there's no going back now. Effectively, yeah, yeah. It's uh, a very a very emotional moment and done very well as well. Not over the top and like, oh my God, she's died. They just look at each other and they look utterly dejected and, and you know, gutted um, at the same time. Yeah. And we, we cut back to present day and the doctor's confused by what he's seen. He's just kind of like, well, I'm programmed to accept the loss of a patient because that's inevitable and that he's supposed to do so with professional detachment. So he can't understand why this was such a big thing. So then they kind of continue the memories and it cuts to, to the funeral and you have Janeway reading the eulogy and she's saying like, we assembled here today to pay final respects to our honored dead, which interestingly is the same line or very similar at least to the one that Kirk used at Spock's funeral. Yes, I think it's like, yeah, practically the same, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's a standard funeral thing that, uh, that Starfleet have. Yes. You know, like a, a, a script that, the, that each captain would go through for it. And as she's going through this whole thing, the final line of this speech is about, you know, and, and we'll keep her in our hearts 
and memories. And it slows down and it really drags out the word memories. Just that one line as well. You know, they don't do it at all at any other point. Um, And then, yeah, you see her, I think it's a photon torpedo, go into space, basically much like we saw with Spock. Um, Unfortunately, there's no Genesis planet to bring her back to life again. (laughs) Yeah. But um, it was a nice, yeah, again, very understated, not over the top. Um, There's nothing really special about where they are. They're just on the bridge, I think. Yeah. but yeah, a really beautiful, and it's interesting how they did that with her last line there, yeah. And then this is when the Doctor starts having a breakdown uh, about making decisions. Like, he's, he's just in the mess hall talking to Neelix and, and trying, you know, he's got two bits of fruit, and he's like, well, how do you tell which is best? And it's all because his program determines a lot of stuff. So in terms of uh, Harry and Jatal, his program should figure out which of them has the greatest chance of survival. Yeah. Uh, but he's in a moral dilemma where there's equal chance because for him, everything's binary. It's either one or zero. It's either this or that. And he is really struggling with the fact that he's made a decision which he shouldn't have even been capable of making. And that's when Neelix calls for a security team. He's like, the whole team? <laughs> I think he's yeah. kind of surprised by like, yeah. how many people are needed. Uh, but this is when he starts going to a rant and the big part of it for me is when he starts saying, why did I let her die? Why did I decide to kill her? He basically has a nervous breakdown in uh, the mess hall yeah. and it, it's a it's great um, acting by Robert Picardo. He went from being oh. fairly jovial with Neelix and kind of happy-go-lucky to very sinister and a bit scary near the yeah. end just before the security people come in and... Um, yeah, and it just goes to show that this is a really unique scenario that his programming just didn't have an answer for, and it's mm. and it's uh, manifested itself as basically a nervous breakdown. Yeah, yeah, and then this is when Janeway then explains to him in present day that the only way to save him was to erase those memories, but then he starts to have the same kind of cascade failure, and he starts to go through the exact same stuff based on what he's just seen, and there's this battle waging, this is how Janeway describes it, there's a battle waging between his original programming versus what he's become. Yeah, and he even threatens to like go and delete, he sort of shouts at Janeway in Seven and threatens to delete the memories again himself. So it's literally happening again, he's having another nervous breakdown. It's clear now what the dilemma was from the start now. It's super clear. And we've got Belana here as well, which, you know, we've had references to her, but I think this is the first time we really see her. And Janeway's kind of yeah. pointing out, like, we, we've given him a soul. Can we take that away from him? And this is where I think Janeway's really starting to understand exactly what's going on and the impact that this is actually having. But Belana is still in very much an engineering mindset of, we gave him personality subroutines. I wouldn't call that a soul she's still seeing him as a technical problem. Yeah, a little bit cold, quite cold. Um, She clearly sees that he's in distress. Yeah, and Janeway was seeing it the exact same way not that long ago. So we are seeing that Janeway is starting to change her perceptions and her bias. And that's when she kind of turns to Seven, goes to her in the, you know, to Regeneration Alcove and, and says... I'm having trouble with the nature of individuality. (laughs) (laughs) Seems to be a common theme. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
but again, I love that that's kind of flipped around. You know, that yeah, she's having and that. she's visiting her, and it's like a mm. book ending sort of thing, isn't it? Probably, I'm sure it's the middle of the night as well. Um, yeah, and how about and she just presses the button to wake her up, and I'm like, oh, so you can erase the doctor's memories, and you just wake me up when you want, I guess, as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking when I saw her do that. Well, yeah, because uh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, she's like, is this kind of appropriate? And uh, and she's like, this is the time and place for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the captain, I, I get to decide. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose like you disturbed me at 2 a.m., so, you know, that's fair game. You know, I can do it to you now, so fair enough. <laughs> but she, she's effectively asking Seven if she regrets what Janeway has allowed her to become. And... Yeah, and, and and Seven kind of responds saying that, you know, no, if, if if she had to go back and change things, she wouldn't. And I think that for something that really is a story for the Doctor, and arguably Janeway as well, this is actually probably one of the biggest moments of development for Seven in a show that's not even a Seven story. Yeah, Um it is. I mean, it, it kind of shows her. I mean, I'll have to go back and watch the season again to see if there's a lot more examples of this. I do remember one in the episode Hope and Fear, but in terms of it, times when Janeway's just said, ah, screw it, I'm just going to tell her to her face that she's being stupid. Um, it, it's, it's another one of those moments where Seven of Nine has basically told Jane, Janeway what the right what the right decision here is this, and you need to listen to me because mm. you're, you're just too stubborn to see it any other way and um, yeah. so it's another moment like that in hope and fear they had that kind of a similar like falling out almost um we're not really falling out but you know like an argument or you know um yeah. so it's another their their relationship is really great um throughout the series when they're together jane wayne seven yeah. nine and there's um, always been a yeah. lot of pushback from seven because she's fighting to still be the borg that she's used to that she's grown up as and this is the first time we get full confirmation that she's actually happy with the way that things have gone, that she's yeah, no longer and, a bog, that you get that confirmation from her. It's also like there's a sense of like Janeway saying, right, I tell you, you know, how the world works because uh, I'm, you know, you've been a bog for X amount of years, whereas I've always been human, so I know better about that stuff. But then, <laughs> but then Seven of Nine will hit her with this like logic bomb and she'll be like, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. I think you're right about that. <laughs> mm. And that's basically what happened in this episode. Um, mm. She basically hit with the thing saying, you know, I'm no different to the Doctor in that way. Would you do the same to me? Um, and she was like, yeah, good point. Just because I'm, you know, I, I'm flesh and bone. Does that make, make, make me with some cybernetic enhancements? Um, so, yeah, um, they do that a lot. And it's 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 great. Really just good, good like chemistry between the two characters and and, and the actors. Um, I think again, mm. seven of nine is just Jerry Ryan's really like like underrated. Um, she's just great at, at playing that sort of unemotionally putting these epic points across that you know completely turn the whole episode on its head um, from just what she's saying to Janeway. Yeah, I think especially when you're looking back with like knowing how she ends up you know when when you kind of look back retroactively you see that so much more than i think when and i I, th- I suppose as well we're older now uh when we were younger watching this i don't think it hit quite how good this performance was yeah she was dismissed a bit as like oh she was just an attractive woman in a cat suit to try and get more teenage boys to watch 
I mean, I was already watching. I was a teenage boy. I was already watching Star Trek Voyage. I was, you know, Star <laughs> like, Trek what more do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got me. What are you going on about? Um, and you know, I was watching Star Trek, and it was like just three guys on like the sixties cardboard cutout set. You know, so I don't need like a, a woman in a cat suit. But uh, it's kind of insulting to the audience in a way. But um, mm. she was so much better than um, you know than than the the role and the look sort of showed and that's why she came back in Picard because people love Seven, seven of Nine uh, I, but I think Janeway's brilliant um, as well a lot of people like she's made some questionable command decisions that you could debate mainly from the mm. first episode and she's great as well like she's willing her willingness to change completely 180 on something that she thought she had a complete handle on I think shows how good of a character she is and this this episode, she does exactly that. Yeah, and and as we've said before, like with all of the stuff on unconscious bias and her willingness to move beyond that, is a very twenty fourth century way of looking at this kind of stuff that today, as a society, we are all still struggling with. And yes, finally, we're starting to have things try and push with movements like Black Lives Matter and everything else that's kind of going on. And it is something that has to, to change and move forward. And this really kind of digs into the core of that and kind of shows that you need that willingness to move on. You know, that you need to do what Janeway is kind of putting her mindset through rather than sort of sticking with how Belana is. Yeah. In absolutely. Yeah. You know, that she, she yeah. is that contrast of that this is where Janeway is at now versus where she was. Yeah. But now we move into the very final scene where they're basically having a therapy session on the holodeck. And I think that the captain's log is really good at just setting up like basically everything that's happened until now. Because it, it, as we said, it's one of those blink and you miss it things. If you don't pay attention to the log, you'll miss out on a lot of information that's kind of been there. Because she says yes. that our, do our doctor is now our patient. It's been two weeks since I've ordered a round-the-clock vigil. A crew member has stayed with him at all times, offering a sounding board and a familiar presence whilst he struggles to understand his memories and thoughts. The chances of recovery? Uncertain. Yeah, it's really interesting because it just shows that they're basically like treating this person like a, a person, like someone with mental health issues and just trying mm. to treat them in a completely natural way and just trying to... The doctor's kind of just got to process this himself. You know, we can't yeah. take a shortcut of deleting it, of deleting his his memory. We've got to help him adapt and grow, you know, with this with this moment. And it's it's very sweet, actually, I think, what Janeway has done for him here. Absolutely. And it's not a quick process. If you, no. if you skip over that long, you kind of think that this is like just a couple of hours later or something. But no, this has been ongoing for ages. And that the whole crew is basically trying to help him and be there for him. Uh, and, and the doctor himself is kind of at a point where he's starting to realize that there's nothing that he could have done differently. And you start to think, okay, he's just clicked. And then you start to realize, no, he's still going crazy because he's starting to talk about the beginning of the universe and how everything's kind of been predestined from, you know, the primordial ooze and things like this. And, uh, and he's just not really quite getting there. Tuvok comes in offers to relieve Janeway because she's been there for 16 hours straight and she looks exhausted. Yeah. 
She's just she laying does. back. Yeah. And she's um yeah, she she reassures Tuvok that she's gonna be fine. She's reading her poetry. So that that's what this book has been, and she says that it's relevant to the doctor's situation. And what she's reading is some poetry called La Vita Nuova, which the doctor translates as being the new life. Starts to get a bit like, huh, tell that to Ensign Jatal. So he's still getting yeah. this kind of grudging stuff where he's not quite over things. Being and, very callous about it as well and a bit blunt and yeah. Yeah, and I would say out of the entire thing that we've seen so far, this entire journey that he's been on, I would say that this is his rock bottom. That yes. Two weeks later, he's not gotten better. This is him at rock bottom. I think it is. This is literally the, the exact moment. Yeah. Hopefully this means that there's a hint of, you know, well, there is really a hint that things mm. are going to get better. Yeah. And he can't even find out how it's even possible to choose, but says that he can't live with the knowledge of what he's done. So he's still got this conflict of, I'm starting to accept that I was in a situation I couldn't really do anything with, but there is that guilt as well. And then Janeway falls asleep on him. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, uh, what is both the most unopportune time and also probably the best timing? Because he sort of tries to wake her up and he tries to insist that she goes to sick bay, you know, because she's exhausted. He sees that she's struggling and stuff. And she tells him, like, I'm a little busy right now trying to help a friend. Which is a beautiful little line. It is. But he insists that she should go and rest and that he doesn't want to be responsible for any more suffering and that he'll be fine and he'll talk to her again in the morning. And so they, they say their goodbyes. She kind of accepts that, which again is, is a really nice point in their relationship. And that's when he then looks over at the book and it is just open as she's placed it down. It's not open like on the page that she's reading. It's just open on the first page. And he goes over, picks it up, and he reads the opening, which is in that book, which is my memory, on the first page of the chapter that is the day when I first met you, appear the words, here begins a new life. Which is perfect. And mm. is that hint that I kind of guess I just alluded to, really, when, yeah. you know, that we were hoping there'd be a hint that, that he could be on the men now. And that, you know, I think that clearly is it. And we get annoyed with Voyager sometimes because it really smashes that reset button sometimes. You know, you've got episodes like The Year of Hell and things yeah. like that where it's like, you know, it really smashes it. And the whatever jeopardy that they're in, you know, in about 10 minutes, something they'll do something and it'll fix everything and you'll be fine at the end. And we'll have the nice little um, external shot of Voyager flying through space with everybody happy. Having just you know been in a massive like battle ten minutes earlier, um, but as much as you know, he's obviously going to get better. Um, it doesn't feel dissatisfying. You don't feel like you've been cheated into a cheap ending where everything's resolved. Um, and it, you know, it doesn't suggest that it's resolved. You know, he's going to live with this, and he'll get better, and he'll he, he obviously moves on from it. It doesn't get mentioned again, um, but. I don't think you feel like it was a cheap ending. It's a really great way to end the episode on it's so low key. There's nothing really of any anything massively dramatic about it. It's just them in a in a basically a blank holodeck template um with mm. a seat um in it, you know, and 
it's such a novel way to treat him as, as well because it's obviously we're still talking about hologram really at the end of the day but they're just you know they're just trying to it's like you're helping out a friend you're just letting them stay with you while they get over some stuff you know yeah, it's and, almost and, like that and, and we and we pretty much learn at this point that he he has the equivalent of a soul you know that that's kind of where he is and and how much he's developed but it's also interesting with you saying about the reset button that's not hit and i think that's because the thing that the button would be resetting isn't something that you can because this isn't damage to the ship this isn't just oh we're now we're in a situation we're just we're voyagers so we're just moving to a different part of space and we're getting away from whatever was there the thing that it's impacting is you as a viewer and your relationship with the doctor as a character and you can't hit a reset button on that. It really changes your outlook on him. And if you went straight from this episode into the next episode, even though it is not referenced at all, you are 100% going to look at the Doctor in a different light. Yeah, absolutely. To what you've previously done so. Yeah, and um, the idea that you know he's an evolving life form, really, and there's more episodes that cover that, um, you, can, you can, you know go back to this episode as this was one of the big steps in in that obviously a horrible situation for him for anyone to have experienced but especially the the doctor um but it's probably something that you know i'd love to know there's probably a lot of real life doctors have been had very similar situations that maybe have been traumatized themselves and you know and understandably it's a it's a horrible situation but yeah just a really good episode a great premise um starts off very jovial but very quickly gets quite sinister um very i mean it's kind of a an interesting inverse of the, of like those episodes of tng that we talked about um clues and conundrum it i don't know in in that sort of group of memory loss episodes um there might mm. be others that i'm not thinking of but it might be the best one actually um they're all pretty good but it might just shaded it over, over those other two which are also very good. But yeah, you know, probably in, in my personal top 10 Voyager, for sure. It's just um, the first time you watch it, like we say, there's you can't really see where it's going to go. You think it's going to be just an alien has raised everyone's memories, but it goes in a completely different direction that you would never have expected. Um, and a great, um, a very little of it really, but Jatal herself was was a pretty good character um, in yeah. it very briefly, only really in probably a couple of scenes, a birthday party and a shuttlecraft, and also you be dying, really, um, in sickbay. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, she was in it very little, but you warmed to her in the few scenes that she had. Um, so a good performance by the actress with the little she had to work with. And yeah. again, it wasn't tedious with her being a random character shoehorned in that you knew was going to die. You didn't really get that um, frustration of that, which you'd feel when you get a red shirt turn up, you know, in other scenarios where someone's yeah. going to die. Great episode. One final thing that I want to go back to is something that you were saying about how the events that happen later that you can kind of backtrack to this episode. And I think that Flesh and Blood, the two-parter in season seven, where the Doctor finds a bunch of other holograms that have kind of gone rebel and are trying to commit yeah. treason and stuff, um, you know, because they're trying to escape the Herogen. He starts to fight for their rights, and he sees them as beings that can evolve and, and be like him. And I don't know 
if he would have been able to stand up in that way and also, you know, have his conflict with Janeway over her viewpoints on it if it wasn't for this episode and where he got himself to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also um, a really um, in, in interesting how it approaches medical sort of dilemmas. Um, it's really good for that as well. And also author, author, another later Voyager episode, which is another one that explores the rights of holograms and stuff. Um, yeah. Probably, you know, stuff that we learned in this episode um, contributes to, you know, the the dilemma in that episode, although it kind of doesn't turn out brilliant for the Doctor, but that's basically because of people in the Alpha Quadrant as opposed to the Voyager crew, who, because of what happened in this episode, are more willing to stick up for him and his rights. Mm. Um, yeah, and that was season seven as well. I feel like they, they started yes. to to push a lot of this stuff in that final season, you know, yeah. to, to look into that kind of thing. But this, this is definitely where the biggest turning point in his life uh, began. Yeah, I would say so. As it says, here begins a new life. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a great low-key way to end, end, end the episode. It really was. Some of the best Star Trek episodes do end in that low-key way. Yeah. But anyway, guys, um, we hope you enjoy Latent Image. We hope you enjoyed us talking about it. Perhaps you haven't watched it recently or in a long time, or maybe you saw it when it first aired and forgot about it, and listening to us talk about it has brought back some memories, and you want to go and check it out again, you know, and again, feel free to send us an email if you want to talk with us more about it. We love to hear from you guys. And that wraps up um, this episode of Long Range Sensors. So if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach us via Twitter at Star Trek LRS, via our website at longrangesensors.com, or like James earlier, um, you can email us, longrangesensors at iCloud.com. You can also subscribe to us via Patreon to receive exclusive member benefits. This includes access to our private Discord channel where you can discuss this episode with us and more by joining the crew of the USS Atlantic at patreon.com forward slash long range sensors. Um, and today we are announcing a new perk we're making available to all our patrons. If you enjoy watching the Trek episode we discussed before listening to the show, you'll now be able to get a head start before release. We will be announcing on both Discord and Patreon the next episode we'll be discussing one week before our episode drops. This, of course, also means that for our subscribers on our founding member tier, which comes with lifetime access to the Discord, we'll always have access to this brand new perk, even if you cancel your pledge at a later date. If you're enjoying the podcast, then one of the other great ways you can help support the show is to let others know about it too. Uh, telling a friend, sharing it on social media, or informing your emergency medical holographic doctor about it goes a long way to help our show reach even more people. My name is Trev, and you can follow me at Henry Jones Jr. on Twitter. You can also check out my other podcast, which is about modern and retro video gaming, with my colleague Stu over at consoleshock.net. Al, uh, where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find everything I'm up to at alistairmcfly.com. Uh, you can follow me at both at alistairmcfly and at imcfly on Twitter. And you can catch me on Twitch over at twitch.tv slash alistairmcfly. You've been listening to Long Range Sensors, where we have nothing but trouble with the nature of individuality. Mm -hmm.